our senior pastor, Jim Andrews, who's right here. And I'm an associate pastor, David Fielding, and I get the privilege once in a while to bring the word. Uh, and that's exactly what I'm going to do this morning. So we, if you want to look in your Bibles, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. I decided to make a pivot yesterday that we will be extending from 1 to 3 to 1 to 5. Uh, so um, be looking in your Bibles for that. Um, by way of uh, uh, introduction, I want to just uh, start by posing a question since we just got done singing worship to God. Um, I know it's rhetorical in one sense, since this is a non-participatory engagement. I'm sorry, you just have to listen. But uh, have you ever sang songs to God genuinely, sincerely, and in the heartbeat of that song said, Lord, I want you to draw me closer to you. I want to get to, to know you better. Um, something on that, along those lines. And you, and you meant it. And then, oddly enough, you left that service. And for the next several weeks or months or potentially even years, areas of your life began to go in lack. They began to suffer need. You began to, and I'll be using this word a lot because it's directly tied into the passage. You began to hunger as it were. Maybe not physically. Your pantry was still full. Possibly that could have happened. But, but in other areas of your life, you began to hunger. Your heart began to hunger after you asked God to draw you closer to him. So by way of introduction, that, that question should get you um, thinking about the ways God draws his people collectively and individually to himself. Now, we have 40 minutes together, so I won't be giving an exhaustive answer to the question. I'm going to be zeroing in on one way that Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5 explicitly states that he will use to draw his people closer to himself. And it's simply reduced to one word, hunger. Just let that sit with you for two or three moments. Hunger. Now, the Israelite nation, that hunger was going to be physical, and we'll see that. For many of us here today, although I don't want to be insensitive because I don't know everybody's life, most of you, I know I have never been hungry unless it was self-induced. I just didn't like the meal. My kids can re relate. They're like, amen, yes. But, uh, you know, uh, at times, you know, I've been, but, but I've never, I'm 42 years old, and I've never physically actually known what it's like to be hungry. So I can't resonate on that plane, but my heart has hungered for many things, strong, deep desires. And we're going to talk about that as it relates to the book of Deuteronomy and how God uses hunger. He literally will cause his people to hunger so that he can teach them where their true life source and fulfillment comes from. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you, Lord, as your children. And as children, we often cry out, Abba, fill us up. Fill those aching places in our heart. Those places that we have long been beating the doors of heaven and asking you to heal. And Father, in your kindness, many times you do just that. But also, as your word clearly states and your people will testify across the ages... You sometimes pause and you say, not yet. I want you to hunger. I want you to suffer lack in that area so you can learn to feed on me. 
Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will allow the message today to do much more than tickle our ears, stimulate our mind, or stir our emotions, but that, God, we would learn what it means when we hunger and are not filled as individuals and as a collective people, that we would wait for that bread that truly sustains the word of God. Help us to learn how to feed on it, to be sustained by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Deuteronomy 8, without further ado, I will be reading the passage with with you 1 through 5 without interruption. Then I'll be alluding back to it throughout our time. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. So that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger. And then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Amen. First, I'd like to start today, and I'm going to give you a little purview of where we're going so we can stay together. We're going to talk a bit about the history of that passage. We're only going to spend a few minutes there, but as Pastor Jim teaches us, it's good to know where it's happening, why it's happening, when it happened in the Bible. And so we're going to get into a little bit of the context of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and who was speaking, why was he speaking, and what had the people that he was speaking to originally just gone through. That's history. We're going to spend a few minutes together there. Then we're going to move on to the resounding biblical emphasis of the analogy of the deliverance of the Israelite people from slavery, the leading of them in 40 years in the wilderness, and the entering into the land of promise, which is the land of Canaan. You can look it up on Google. It's called Israel now. It became a sovereign nation in 1948. Real historical rooted faith, see? So, so God's word resounds with teaching all throughout the ages to this day about that narrative. It's not just a, oh, that's a cool story. Anyway, throughout all of Scripture, the Psalms, the book of Hebrews, our beloved Savior sat hungry, tested, and tempted by the devil himself after fasting for 40 days. And what Scripture did he use in his first temptation? This one I just read. If... You are the son of God. Turn the stones into bread. Fill yourself outside of God's time. Rely on your own means to satisfy, in that case, physical hunger. But we could apply heart hunger. And Jesus, what did he do? 
You know it, Matthew 4. It is written. Well, where was it written? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So we're going to talk some time about the biblical emphasis of this analogy. Then we're going to move on to contemporary significance, areas, arenas of our life, your life, my life, collectively and individually, where our hearts get hungry. Like I said, I know, I, I know who I'm speaking to. Most of you have bread in the pantry. My wife makes a good sourdough. Um, and so I'm not speaking to you as if you're starving physically. But we all have areas of our heart that God leads us to hunger in, spiritually, relationally, and other places, okay? Then we're going to talk about our soul's response to that season of heart hunger. Oh, there's a response. We have a choice how we respond to that when God leads us. And the Israelites, they weren't people you want to emulate in many respects. They're people you want to learn from not what to, 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 to not do what they did. And then we're going we're gonna to close with an invitation to consider uh, giving yourself to Jesus if you're here and you don't know him. Okay, that's what we're going to do. So we'll be here for two hours, and then we're going to have lunch. We're going to feed you some physical bread. You good? You guys caught all that. Okay, significance one. Okay, so here's the history without further ado. Moses is about 120 years old. The book of Deuteronomy is, is the book of, use our pastor Jim's uh, uh, thrust of his ministry. It's a book of polishing God's monuments, remembering what God has done so you can be equipped to be prepared for what God is doing. It's, 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 it's a book of transition because Moses has led now two generations, the first out of slavery and now the second who he speaks to now in the wilderness. The, the first generation of adults pretty much died off in the 40 years of the wilderness because they just would not trust God. They would not obey God. They would not rest and be content with God. So God did not allow them to enter in with some minor exceptions. Now he's speaking to the people who have grown up in the wilderness and they're about to enter the land of Canaan. They're on that, that precipice of entering that land of promise. And he's giving them these, just as somebody who, who like a pastor's heart, uh, a prophet declaring God's word, these truths, these gems that he wants them to really key in on before they enter in. And so he, he's telling them this and he's saying, because he, he says, remember how the Lord led you in the wilderness. Because they've already been walking for 40 years. And I want to give you a little context. Because many of you are biblically astute. You know your Bible. So it's not context as if to, to inform you. But it's to remind you as we move through how, how fickle the human heart is with God's providence. Okay, let's get a little timeline for us. We're still on history. Stay with me now. We'll get to, we'll get to you in just a moment. Just stay with the word for, for, for five minutes. Here we go. You ready? <laughs> it starts in Exodus chapter 15. Now, of course, it starts in Genesis 1, but don't get too, don't get, don't, don't be a lawyer now. Where I'm going to go, it starts in Exodus 15 and the song of Moses. And God had just crushed the strongest military force known to man at that time. Egypt's chariot army had been crushed by the waters of the Red Sea. And this band of several hundreds of thousands, if not a million slaves who had been freed by the hand of God, started singing on the other side of the Red Sea. You can read it in Exodus 15. The song of Moses. 
Miriam and the Israelites, Miriam and his sister, they're singing. She's got a timbrel. I don't know if you guys like Pentecostal, charismatic, maybe you don't, but they were getting a little loose in, in the church service, right? They're on the other side of the Red Sea, okay? They were, they were praising God. You should read it. I'll read one passage just to give you a tone of where their faith was at that moment. Exodus chapter 15. Just give me 10 seconds. Okay, maybe 15 seconds. Here's a part of the song. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. Doesn't that sound great? Don't you want to go to that church? they just full of faith. I love it. I want to go there. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. It sounds like a people who were convinced that the God who had just delivered them would be able to be the God who would provide for them. Wouldn't you say? All right. Now, if you read at the end of chapter 15, the organs and the tambourines, they quiet. The announcement of David Fielding and the benediction at Lake is over. The mission auction has now been finished. And there's just a janitor sweeping up the last bit of paper cups. And three days later, they get thirsty. They walk in that freedom of God that they were singing about. And they begin to complain. Three days it took them. From the song of Moses to what are we going to drink? You read that at the end of chapter Exodus 15. Three days, their mouth was a bit dry, and they said, where is God? Then, just to get to the heartbeat of Deuteronomy 8, where the manna is alluded to, two months after they leave the bondage of slavery. You can read these dates in Exodus 16. Two months. So now it's just three months shy of two, three days shy of two months after complaining about the water, and God provides the water, he makes it sweet, and then he leads them to an oasis. Two months later, what are they saying? I wish God would have killed us back in slavery. I I wish God would have just killed me. Have you ever been to a place in your life where your heart has hungered and you have cared for something so much and you've gone so long without it that you just wanted to die? That's where the people of Israel were. Two months after their freedom. Two months after the song of Moses, they said, God, you should have just killed me back in Egypt. You should have just left me a slave. That's the fickle nature of the human heart when dealing with God's revelation. We need to be schooled by that, don't we? We need to be, we need to be sobered by that, don't we? So that's a bit of history. So he's, he's talking to people who have been just like we can receive something from God on Sunday. And by Wednesday, forget he even, he even cared for us. It's quiet because you're listening. It's quiet because you know it's true. I am guilty of that very thing. I'm going tr- to jump a little bit to, to some significance to keep you with me. Our heart's hunger can blind us to God's bread. But it also can lead us and teach us that we do not live by God's bread of provision alone, but by his very word of life. Understand that wasn't just a pithy saying. 
So often when we're in lack, we fixate on that which we are missing, the areas we are hungry, and we forget. And that's why I extended it to Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5. Your sandals didn't wear out. You were walking for 40 years and Nike hadn't come to town. You had not gotten the the employee discount. There had been nobody who gave you a, 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 a buy one, get one free Rite Aid or a pay less shoe sale. You've been wearing the same shoes for 40 years and look how good they look. That's God's bread of provision. It's a physical, tactile provision for you. You know what? There were times when you didn't care. You couldn't see that. Why? Because you were focused on what you didn't have. Your clothes, Meyer, Frank, Macy's, and Nordstrom's were not near. And yet your clothes never got, never got worn out for 40 years walking. But you couldn't see that at times in this wilderness, could you, people? Because you were too worried about what you didn't have, what God hadn't provided. In our Christian journey, in our Christian journey, it is so easy to focus on the God of fulfillment God is going to fulfill me. God is going to make this right. He may or he may want you to hunger a little longer. He may want to humble you and test you to teach you that that full area of fulfillment is not what your life is. You may need to wait a little longer. You may need to go hungry. Christians got to learn how to go to bed hungry. And as Pastor Jim has been warning us for 30 or 40 years, collectively... In America, we may need to get ready for that. The land of prosperity may become the land of scarcity. And God said, don't think that I'm inattentive. Don't think I haven't done this to my people before. Read Deuteronomy chapter 8. I know it's scary. I got kids at home. I hate missing a meal. But it's irrelevant because I'm not the God of the universe. I got to be submissive to his word. And he's teaching me and he's teaching you that there are times when he will draw you as a person or us as a people closer to himself through times of hunger. We can't avoid it. We're going to talk about how our heart responds to that reality in a few moments. So let's move on to the next section of our time so we're not here for two hours. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, Psalm 95, which is where Hebrew author borrows that from. Matthew chapter 4, which I've already shared with you. These are just a few scriptures. In Hebrews, he's writing at that time, Christ has already came, died on the cross, rose again, and now a lot of Jewish people are losing everything so that they can become a Christian. Their families are telling them, you know, this is what happened. Hey, you know, if it happens in our families... Teenager comes home, says, hey, you know, I found Jesus. Man, we can't wait to get, hey, praise the Lord. We want to get baptized. Praise the Lord. You know what them Jewish people were experiencing? Hey, I've given my life to Yeshua. Don't ever come here again. Get out. Don't pack a bag. That's my, that's my stuff. Get out. And after a while, that makes you get tired. That makes you hungry. You start to hunger for community. You start to hunger for your family togetherness. There's no holidays to go home to. And so he was writing to those Jewish people who were Christian. And he was saying, don't lose heart. Jesus is worth it. 
And he pointed back to their ancestors from Deuteronomy. And he said, take a lesson from your Jewish ancestors. And you know what he called the the wilderness? Because there were three lands, and I've already alluded to them. The land of slavery. The land of the wilderness. And the land of promise. And he said, you know what I call that, that land of wilderness for most of them? The day of rebellion. You read it. Hebrews 3 and 4. You just read it. The day of rebellion. Because they would not have their heart go hungry or their tummy go hungry for long. They would demand that the Almighty fill them according to their need and on their time. We'd be careful on how we try to dictate things to God. He is not a Burger King commercial and you cannot have it your way. Come on now, American Christians. When I say these words, I feel convicted just as I let them drop from my lips to your ears. Because I want my way. Don't you? But this is why we sit under the word of God. This is why we let our souls wrestle before our maker. So that we can be transformed. More into the image of Christ. So that's the biblical emphasis. The significant. I've already alluded again. This is somewhat inductive in the sense that we're kind of. Cyclically moving moving through these points. But the arenas of our heart. That get hungry beyond our tummy. Right. Because a lot of you are not hungry in your tummy. At this present moment. Although you may be challenged in that way. Relational hunger. Hunger of health. Many of you suffer. From, from chronically sick bodies. The hunger of finances. Maybe you're working hard, but the arithmetic just doesn't add up come payday. Or bill day. Because <laughs> payday, payday feels like bill day. <laughs> come on, somebody can laugh. Maybe, maybe y'all do it. It never, it never had to be a little tight. Huh? <laughs> never had to get out the pencil and the eraser. huh? Okay. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. Free Freedoms. I know none of you have watched the news in the last year. None of you are paying attention to the fact that uh, certain of our freedoms that we believe are, uh uh-oh, I'm going to quote something. You ready? You ready? You still with me? Inalienable rights. Uh Uh-oh, where did I get that from? Certain document. That document wasn't inspired by the Holy Spirit. But let me just tell you, (laughs) some of those things may be taken from us. They've already been taken or never even given. To our Christian brothers and sisters across the world. So we might have to hunger for certain freedoms that we were once filled by. God is not, God, you can't tell God, well you can't do that to me, I'm an American. You can't, you can't quote the constitution to God. It's not going to work. Bill of Rights, if you give your life to Jesus, you're a slave and a son. But make sure you include slave though. Make sure you include slave. You give your life to Jesus Christ, you have no rights. You have no rights. It's a tough one. Safety. It's getting more dangerous out there, isn't it? Fear sets in, doesn't it? We'll talk about that as we talk about the way our heart responds to God causing us to hunger. Reputation. Don't mess with my image. Don't you do it. You can't talk about me or talk to me like that. Because after all, after all what? They did, how how they, how they talk about Jesus? How'd they do Jesus? 
Am I more valuable, more esteemed than the one who shed his blood so I could be saved? Don't mar my reputation. That's a fulfillment that I demand. Or else I I I may not walk with you anymore, God. Understand these areas are personal. They're probing. That's the areas of our heart that God wants to work on. He doesn't care about what you do easily well. He wants that place in your heart where you hold on to it with all your might. And you say, I got to be fed in this area, Lord. This is who I am. And he says, no, I'm about to, I'm about to teach you that your life does not consist of that area of fulfillment. Your identity is not in that, but it is in me. And when you go through a process like that, there's such liberty. But before liberty is excruciation. And that's probably not even a word. Excruciating agony. You have to sit in the hunger. Because hunger hunger takes over you. When you know you're hungry. I'm not saying when you're mildly interested in something in your life. You wish that thing would work out at work. You wish you might get an extra $10,000 raise. That's not hunger. I'm talking about hunger wakes you up in the middle of the night. I'm talking about hunger is the only thing you can think about. That's why you get blinded to what God's already provided for you. Hunger is something that consumes you. If you've not been there, then you walk with Christ long enough, he'll lead you there. But most of you are older and, you know, three and a half years old. So I imagine you've been there. I certainly have been there. Where you can't think about anything else. You can't even pray. When you do pray, all you want to do is talk to Jesus about this one thing. You know what I'm talking about? Am I the only person in the congregation who's been hungry? When people say, how are you doing? Well, let me tell you about it. And the only thing you can talk about is that thing. People get tired of being around you. He's just going to talk about that one thing. (laughs) All right. I don't even have to ask him. I know what he's worried about. He's been worried about it for three months. That's hunger. And God will lead you to that place. He will lead you to that place as an individual and as a people. And here's our soul's response to heart hunger. It's not exhaustive. But it does give us a taste of willingness because I, I preach so that you may know God. I preach so that you may learn who he is. I preach so that you may grow closer to him. I preach not only so you know the word. People, people often talk to me about the word. Do you realize why the word was written? The word was not written so you could be an expert Bible study attender. You understand that? It's actually in the word. No, no scripture ever says I want you to teach the word preach the word and read the word so that you can teach the word and preach the word and read the word do you understand that is an exercise in vanity and futility you just hearing yourself talk and you just putting your badge up there in your mirror look I went to six bible studies this week well good for you have you done a single thing in the word of God has the word of God catapulted you into obedience of God have you said yes to Jesus in an area where your heart used to say no to him another Bible study is not going to fix it unless that water is getting through the cracks of your hard heart I do not teach the Bible so you can know the Bible this is a direct quote from our senior pastor uh, on the summit on the word several summers ago prior to COVID I teach the Bible so that you may know God But then he followed up, if you really want to know God, you'll want to know 
the Bible. And I would completely concur. But don't, but we fall short too often in biblically emphasized churches. God, God is not pleased because you read a book about him and from him if you're not really getting to know him. And this area, that's why I make it personal every time. Because if it ain't personal, I don't think it's real faith. Here's a couple of responses to heart hunger in the areas that I mentioned or other areas that you might be thinking of. One is an arrested development. An arrested development. The definition is in the, is in the first word. It's arrested. You're not going anywhere. Your development, your growth, your sanctification has become stinted. You have been stopped. I just want to grow closer to you, Jesus. No, you got handcuffs on. Because God has been telling you, like he told the people of Israel, this is what I want you to learn to do. Trust in me and obey me even when you're hungry. Even when the enemy looks twice as big as you. But what did they often do? Arrested development. They complained. And I don't mean the mild complaining that we all do occasionally and just have to say, hey, that was a moment in the flesh. I mean they were embittered with their complaint. You understand that? The weed of complaining in your soul, do not let it take deep root. Because then your attitude and your focus on what God is, who he is, what he's doing, what he's not doing, is one that's tainted by bitterness. You, you want to be careful to weed that out quickly. We all complain from time to time because life is hard and it does not go our way most of the time. But if you get a spiritual disposition of complaint, your growth in Christ will be arrested. See, well, Lord, it's been so long. I've been praying to you for 22 minutes. I've been waiting on this for seven days. Lord, it's been five years. Lord, when are you going to hear my prayer? My knuckles are bloody from banging on the heaven's door. When is it going to be my turn, Lord? When are you going to hear me? It took 21 years for my daughter to call me dad. She grew up in this church, Maya Hudson. Pastor Jim went to her first grade class and read Green Eggs and Ham. She always called me David. Just like that too. David. It was a loaded statement, yeah? Now she calls me, hey pops, what's up dad? 21 years for that heart hunger to get fooled. But you know what I could have done? I could have said, well I'm not going to keep going Lord. I'm not going to keep going in other areas of my life because you're not fixing this area. Well then what would happen? Arrested development. Got to be careful about that. Another thing we do is we indulge, right? You have those quiet indulgences that nobody knows because you're dealing with hunger in your heart over here. So you indulge over here. That will arrest your development. Another thing we do is we get self-righteous. We start, we start saying, well, you know, I'm pretty awesome in these three areas. And I want to tell you about it. And I want to tell you how they are not awesome in these three areas. We're using the wrong metric. God is saying, this is the area I'm working on, son. This is the area you need to surrender to me. Secondly, when God leads us to an area of heart hunger, we, many of you who I'd be speaking to, probably it wouldn't be applied because you probably wouldn't be here, but 
in case you ever get into this jam, outright rebellion. This is where people rewrite the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. They say, no, God can't mean that. That preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. I know God and I know God knows me and we have an understanding. And so I'm going to go ahead and keep doing this, this, and this. And either I'm going to find a church that says it's okay or I'm going to have me in the church with the trees and the mountains and the woods and the bars and I'm going to do my own thing because I already know that he would never want me to give up this. I just know it because me and him are close like that. That's called outright rebellion. And it reveals either one of two things. If you keep on in that way, it reveals that you never knew him anyway. But if you did know him and you get into that jam of outright rebellion, you're going to have to get your fill of the pig's slop before you return like the prodigal son. And let me tell you, the pig's slop is awful smelly. And you can avoid that by this third way that our heart responds to heart hunger. It's called growth. It's so good. Hard, but so good. Growth says this. A consistent, albeit imperfect, willingness to wrestle with our heart's hunger before the altar of God in prayer. Confronting it in the light of God's word and being strengthened by true fellowship with God's people to continue in God's will, God's way. That's why I really come to church. I know it's weird when you become a pastor because like, well, you get paid. and oh, I've been coming to church in prison. I've been coming to church when I wasn't paid. I need church. I used to tell when I first became a family, I used to tell my young son here. Oh, he's over here now. I say, son, don't disrupt me when I'm in church. Not because I want to make sure everyone thinks that I'm a great dad, but because I have to hear what's going on from the word. I got to have it or I'm a bad person. I need Jesus or else I'll be going to hell. I'm not fooled about that. This isn't a game to me. It's not a profession. I don't need your votes and I don't need you to like me. I do need Jesus Christ, the word and true fellowship. And I emphasize the word true because talking about the weather ain't going to get it done. I need to be able to tell somebody in the church, in Christ, hey, man, I'm about ready to quit. Will you pray for me? I'm about ready to throw in the towel. I can't take it. I can't take one more day without, without some manna. I need somebody I can talk to like that. You, you know what? You be somebody that somebody can talk to like that. How about that? How about that challenge? Why don't you be somebody who somebody can talk to like that? That's where a church will really grow. And I think a lot of you are like that. You, we need that. And then you start to grow. Let me give you a couple examples of where the word of God moves from something that intellectually stimulates you, emotionally comforts you, to sustaining your very soul. That's the idea of teaching them that they don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because there are areas of the bread of provision that God gives us. You know, breath, you don't have breath, you die. You know, we do have bread and things. But there's, there's areas of our heart. We can't live by just the bread of provision. We need something more. We were created by God for God. But let me give you three examples. I could give you 53, but then you would be here till dinner. Three examples. The first is this. Hebrews is quoting Deuteronomy 31, 5, I believe, or 6, where it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. 
He's speaking to a people who are about to leave the wilderness and enter into the land of promise. Let me, let me repeat that to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Do you understand that that feels good for you to hear right now? I know it does. And intellectually, you might be kind of stimulated like, well, what does that really mean? And hmm, okay. But there's a time when God leads you to hunger in your life. When you get that verse. When folks have left you. When it's not going well for you and it doesn't look like it's going to get better if you implement a plan. Then you begin to feed on the presence of God and the truth of his character that he will never leave you even if everybody else does. That's when your faith grows in confidence in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I will never leave you and forsake you. When you got 73 friends, 26 family members, everybody telling you how awesome you are, that's cool. God's on my team. God's on my team. That's great. But when you've been put in a corner, when you've been isolated, when you feel alienated, when you feel alone in your sickbed, when you're hurting because your reputation's at stake, even if you've done nothing wrong, you need the word to become food. I will never leave you and forsake you. You been there? I've been there. And that's when that word, it becomes the only thing that satisfies. A secondary example, or not secondary, excuse me, a second example found in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 27, and I'll attach a small anecdote with it. I am the God of all mankind. I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? He declares to the prophet Jeremiah. He tells that to Jeremiah. Well, that's the very verse that my wife and I met on. And one day she was in a trial. Her heart was in hunger, and she saw that on a billboard. She saw that on a billboard. And she said that became her favorite verse because in that season of her trial, she needed to feed on the reality that God was over everything and nothing was too hard for him. It wasn't just intellectually stimulating. She wasn't just emotionally comforted. She was sustained by the hope of God having nothing too hard because so much was too hard for her in that trial. And that's what she offered as her favorite verse. And that's why I asked her what her favorite verse was. And that started our conversation. So a beautiful personal connection there. The last one, certainly not the least one, is found in Nehemiah 8.10. And many of you know Nehemiah is a great passage of scripture, a great book. And they're rebuilding the walls and Ezra the priest. And they're bringing out the word of God. And there's, after 150 years of people being let back into the city, these crumbling walls are being erected. And there's just so much toil. In 52 days, they build these walls. And then the word of God is coming out. And they're having essentially this holy party, right? They're, they're weeping at hearing the very words of the law, right? Because it had been just kind of lost. Um, and, and in that time, Nehemiah becomes the governor because he's done so much. You know, he left Persia's courts. And he comes over there and he's, he's now the governor. He says, don't weep. This is a good thing. This is a good day. He says, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Because they've gone through a lot of adversity. And there's still a lot yet to come. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. Well, when you hear that, you're already happy. Because it's 75 degrees. You just cash your big paycheck. And everybody's high-fiving you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You're kind of like, eh, that's cool. 
but I got other things that cause me joy. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, whatever, you know, God's cool, but I got this and this and this and this. And these are the things that I kind of are sustained by. These are the bread that fulfill me and make my joy. But when you get into pockets where those other things are lacking and are not full, God may lead you to really feed on that verse that the joy of the Lord is your strength. Not the joy of your vehicle, not the joy of your vacation, not the joy of your family. Those things are not bad inherently, but too often we make those the substance and God the secondary. All right, we're still together? Okay. So that's growth. As we begin to, um, as we begin to round out our time together, I want to, I want to make much of this invitation that our souls hunger for a relationship with our Creator since birth. We cry out for milk and bread when we got teeth, but our souls constantly are longing for something that milk and bread never, never satisfy, that friends and careers never touch. And it is a relationship that's reconciled with our God. And so if you're in the, if you're in the congregation today, if you're in the audience today and you've been, you've been hungry for a while and not even known why, I would ask you simply to consider this. There is a God. He is one. He is Father, Son, and Spirit. One God and three persons. And He did come in the flesh 2,000 years ago. And He came because He loved you. And He came because He knew that you needed Him. And he lived a life of perfect fellowship with the Father through perfect obedience to the Father because he had perfect trust in the Father. And then after 33 years, he laid down his life on a Roman cross, brutally beaten, savagely mistreated, and killed as a payment for all of the times you have rejected your God and Maker. And chosen yourself or others instead. And then on that third day he rose again from the grave. A stone tomb. That stone was rolled away. And he ascended and sat at the right hand of the father. And any human being, man, woman or child. From any nation, from any tribe, from any language. Who hears of Jesus Christ. And says, yes, I want him. I need him. That good news that I can be forgiven because my sins, my inherent nature to reject God, to use Pastor John's phrase, to reject God's design for my desire. We're all natural born doing that. Rejecting God's design for our desire. And I need that forgiveness, Father. And I believe in the Son. I entrust my spiritual well-being to the Son and ask for forgiveness for my sins. And I ask you to make me yours. If you do that, you will be completely reconciled to God. Your sins will be forgiven. The Holy Spirit will seal you. And you will then be on the journey, on the path to a relationship with Him that will last forever. Begins now and lasts forever. You will be saved. You will become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. 
So I, I implore you, that word means beg. See, I know that in these circles, we got the blinking red light. I got to quit pretty soon here. But give me 35 seconds. I'll talk fast. I know that in circles that are intellectually oriented like ours, which I respect. My mom's here. She has a PhD. It's good to be intellectual to a point. But we sometimes askew, there's an intellectual word, emotion. Let me tell you that if you let your life be governed by emotion, you'll end up in a ditch. If you rule your faith by emotion, you'll end up deceived. But there is emotion-rich language in the Bible. God is a God who has emotion. He gave you emotion. And when he says, I implore you to be reconciled to Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm begging you. As if it was the single most important thing for you to ever consider. Because it is. So don't be too tired or too bored or too hungry to seriously consider Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and thank you that not only are you the bread of life, but that you will cause us to go through seasons of hunger. We pray that in those seasons, Lord, which some of us are in now and we will face later, we would wrestle. We would struggle with you instead of against you. And that we will learn to feed on the word of life. In Jesus' name, amen. No, it's fine, Mom. It's fine, Mom.